Hello and welcome to episode 5 of Categorically Oscars. I'm Cal. And I'm Chris. And I wanted to say thank you to the people who uh, have downloaded and streamed the podcast so far. Um, I've had a few people, you know, say to me that they've enjoyed it. Um, So that's good. Yep, same here. I've had some very positive reviews, so I'm uh, I'm glad that people are finding it well, informative or interesting or whatever floats your boat. Yeah, and I'm trying to um, follow people on Twitter who love the Oscars as much as we do and, you know, try and include as many people in this and make as many people aware um, Mm -hmm. so that they can share the the Oscar geekdom. Yeah, exactly. Um, So we haven't ventured past 1989 so far. Um, so, I mean, we were both pretty young in 1989, right? Yes, very, very young. So this week we've got something that we can both, uh, we both remember, uh, when all these films came out. So that's interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is actually the second Academy Awards that I have kind of a clear memory of watching and i clearly remember kind of my feelings on the night so it's interesting the first being when titanic won uh, in 1997 yeah i pretty clearly remember that but um and i mean probably i remember this one for similar reasons because best picture was kind of this massive phenomenon but i also remember the i also remember the best actor race so yeah, so we we're going to be talking about the best actor of two thousand and three, uh, and the first nominee was Johnny Depp in Pirates of the Caribbean: The Curse of the Black Pearl. Um, now, this is a performance that wouldn't typically get nominated in the sense that it's in the kind of fantasy genre. Um, why do you think it struck a chord with voters? While I was watching it, um, again, because I've seen the film uh, a few times before, um, I think that this nomination had a lot to do with just the fact that this film was so, so huge. In 2003, it was just a cultural, you know, touchstone, really. Um, and nobody was kind of expecting it to be so huge. And his performance in particular was you know, one of the highlights of the film. And I, I like it. I think it's, I think it's a really good performance. It's funny and perfect for the tone of the movie, but I'm uh, just based on merits alone. I find it odd that it was nominated for best actor, especially considering it's a supporting performance. Yeah. He doesn't have a a whole lot of screen time. Um, I remember it coming out too. I remember my brother had a sort of pirate DVD of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we kind of watched that and I was like, what's this? I've never heard of it kind of thing. And I think it was quite an under-the-radar under blockbuster in terms of before it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember enjoying it at the time. And this time I felt like I enjoyed it a little less and it was a little less... Um, successful at the world building because I thought that was really good first time around. Now I kind of think it is quite a standard Bruckheimer affair. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but there is there is some strengths to the film, and he is probably one of the bigger strengths to it. You know, he he's very fun. Um, I like the Britishness of the portrayal. I like that it's modelled on Keith Richards of the Rolling Stones. Yeah. And that kind of layabout quality to the character, you know, this chaotic, reckless, terrible pirate, really. Um, Mm -hmm. But he kind of tends to wind up getting what he wants in the end due to sheer kind of gall and charm. And I I don't think many people would have done a better job um, than Depp at playing Jack Sparrow. Um, I just wonder how much depth there really is to this, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that I think is the nub of the whole thing is that it doesn't it's surface and it's played it's played for laughs, you know, and it's successfully played for laughs and why not? It's a comedy, but yeah, in terms of the deeper character and I haven't really seen the sequels to this film, never really had any desire to, so I don't know if they explore Jack Sparrow's character anymore but in this one he's just a kind of a clown well the sequels I mean the sequels are pretty bad but um, I think the more it went on the more like the character kind of became a parody of itself really and Mm. it it lost a lot of interest Um, I think if you'd sat someone down and without having seen the rest of them and said you know is is this good acting? I think they'd say yes. Um, it it just I think when maybe when you compare it to some of the the meatier nominees of this year, it probably doesn't stack up as a particularly accomplished piece of work. Yeah, I think I think that's my feeling as well. The other roles are so deep and dramatic and meaty. Yeah, like you said, it gave these actors a lot to do, and this one. Uh, feels very light in comparison. Yeah, I, I actually think Depp's um, best scenes are with Kira Knightley, um, which I actually thought this time that Kira played the kind of rebellious damsel role quite well. Um, she's sort of she's quite an energetic uh, presence and probably gives you know. I think in general the performers give the film more energy than it maybe deserves. Um, Jeffrey Rush is also very good as the sort of villain, but kind of lovable villain, really. He's not somebody you could really hate. He's just, mm-hmm. you know, he's he's kind of a, just a bit of a bit of a rascal, you know. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he's kind of the dark mirror to Jack Sparrow, but that means he's still pretty damn lovable. Yeah, I mean, you could imagine Jack Sparrow becoming like Jeffrey Rush in a couple of decades' time, you know? Sure, absolutely. Um, And I like the idea that pirates are are made um, fun in this. Um, You know, obviously the reality is not quite so, um, so harmless, but uh, there is something entertaining about you know watching a story about pirates. Um, but as for Depp, I think, I mean, why do you think this 
perform? Do you think it's a case that the the other potential nominees there weren't many of them, or do you really think it's down to the the box office? Um, I think that you know. Actually, I was thinking this when I was trying to think of you know when we get to the end of our episodes, we always talk about who we think got snubbed, and yeah, I'm. I'm kind of, spoiler alert for the end of the episode, kind of drawing a blank Mm. on this year. So I think it might just have been, yeah, kind of a dearth of strong male lead performances this year that led to Depp kind of getting the fifth slot. Well, I have two or three names I'll save for the end. Um, Okay. But I I kind of think uh, maybe Depp might have been third, yeah. Given the the sag win uh, mm-hmm. for this, so I I just think maybe there was just a lot of enthusiasm. But if if you do look at the, the people on the outside of the five, it's not it's not exactly um, wonderful work, you know. Right. I think. I mean, I've heard a, a couple of people have mentioned that you know we knew they knew we were doing two thousand three actor. And they've said that they think that the Academy got it right, basically, with the five that they nominated. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe they did. Maybe they did. Mm. Anything to add on, Depp? Um, Not, we won't discuss the current, uh, the current troubles with the press, no? <laughs> I've been half following that and half not, because I, I, I've kind of realize that the less we know about these actors personal lives the better and uh he's definitely in a bit of hot water now so i don't think i have much more to say about him at the moment i mean i i had been reading some of this the things that have come out of this trial and you do have to wonder how people live like this you know <laughs> yeah yeah I know. that's all i'll say yeah <laughs> Okay, so how about Ben Kingsley in this um, terrifically uplifting film, House of Sand and Fog? Yeah, you know, it's a celebration of life and love in all its forms. Um, I think that Ben Kingsley always gives these very powerful uh, performances in which he just is completely invested in the character. And I think this is another example of just kind of baseline Ben Kingsley which isn't to say bad it just means this is the kind of energy and determination that he brings to all of his roles um yeah I I can't speak for his I don't know about the authenticity of his accent now this is a very heavy accent year actually um (laughs) but he certainly he certainly is consistent at least um I can give him that his accent is uh lived in when he in this performance he never slips out of it and lets his normal voice through which is a achievement in itself um and i think he gives a very great and powerful performance in a role that you know could have been well could have been botched i think very easily yeah i I agree with you i mean the actual film made me furious um I just, I couldn't work out if the film wanted us to feel sympathy with 
Jennifer Connelly's character or whether her behaviour is some kind of comment or grander comment on America. Um, because yeah. the, char- the character itself, I mean, she goes to bed for eight months, doesn't read a <laughs> mail, and that's the crux of why the home gets repossessed. Fair enough, there's been a tax error, but if you don't read your mail, you can't really complain when someone comes with an eviction notice. So mm-hmm. for me... I didn't have any affiliation with that character who then gets herself involved with this racist cop. Whereas I did think that Barani, although he was acting as an opportunist, you know, to, to buy a house and make a profit, he was essentially doing it for the right reasons for his family. Yeah. So I think if the, if the film is making a grander comment on America, it's actually quite good. Mm. If it's a kind of meeting of two you know, two two families and it's trying to say this is the mess that people can cause, um, I think is a bit less successful. Yeah, I, I had the same feeling. I had first watched it, I think a few years ago, so re-watching it, I was thinking, oh, maybe, maybe I'll see something new. But no, to me, it's just the story of two insufferable racist idiots. <laughs> yes, um, I can really hounding this poor family and i know he you know barani himself is savvy and he knows what he's doing and he definitely maintains that kind of uh cognitive dissonance between like i'm doing this for the right reasons therefore the negatives i can just ignore but his poor his poor family you know they're just caught in this web that they don't understand especially his wife is just we just bought a house why is this such a big deal um Mm. and yeah i i agree with you if if the point of the film is to make us like or at least sympathize with jennifer connelly's character it's a massive failure at least for me um because she's just from the beginning just yeah so annoying she's insufferable She's insufferable, yeah. And when, you know, she she really lost me when she goes to her lawyer after meeting the Baranis for the first time and she asks them, you know, the lawyer asks her for their name and she doesn't really know, but she says, but they're Middle Eastern. And I'm like, oh, mm. okay, that's not a good shade on you. So yeah. why, why don't you just drop this now? And nope, she just makes it worse. Yeah, and I mean, the idea of it is when she takes the sleeping tablets in the bath, I was just like, I I mean, I kind of like that the film is unafraid of mess, you know, it kind of revels in mess, you know, it's um, it's certainly not a conservative film, <laughs> but no. um, yeah, I guess to bring it back to Kingsley's character, mm-hmm. uh, Kingsley's performance rather, I think, I think it's excellent, um, Ben Kingsley, I think often excellent, but Um, I feel like he adds things to the character that probably isn't on the page. You know, I think somebody else could have easily made this quite stern and one note. Um, Where I've just felt like it's very well considered and natural. Um, The film itself is very schematic, but he's not going along with that. He's very much independent of that. Um, And... I think the military history comes through too. I can believe that he's 
served in the military, been an authoritarian figure. I can believe that he's commanded a unit. Um, and I think his shame at having to work as a as a road builder was very kind of palpable. And I just think there's a lot of backstory uh, that he gives without having to say a lot that I felt, you know? Yeah, I felt the same. And I think that that's another thing that he does so well is just his nonverbal acting that just tells you so much about the character that, like you say, is not probably not on the page at all, but he just that depth that he gives to his characters and how deep he goes into them gives him that backstory that he needs to make them human. And uh, I think he does just a fantastic job with this character. Yeah, yeah. What do you think about the um, I Want Only For My Son kind of sequence? Um, Because we're going to be talking about yet more child death later. Um, Yeah. But... There is a, a, a scene in which he's essentially praying for his, his son's survival. Um, yeah. wh- how did you feel? I think that he did the best he could, but those kind of scenes are... I, I'm trying to think off the top of my head of a a scene showing a parent grieving over their child's death that didn't go over the top and make me feel like it was kind of cartoonish. I, that sounds horrible to say because obviously I've never mm. been in that situation. Um, yeah. But it doesn't, it just, it kind of takes me out of it. Just in those brief moments where they need to show unimaginable grief, they seem to always go too big with it. Uh, well, shoot, the same year, um, Naomi Watson, 21 grams, is another one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is like. That is really big. <laughs> yes, yes. A lot of a lot of children dying in movies in two thousand three. A lot of misery in general, I would yep. say. Like some of these films that are kind of got one or two nominations, which we kind of can mention later. Um, mm-hmm. Very very dark films. Um, mm-hmm. But I think Robert Duvall in Tender Mercies is is a good example of somebody. Uh, his daughter dies, and it's it's actually a lovely reaction to it. It's very understated, as the character is, but it's definitely yeah. good if you check that out. Is that a spoiler? Um, yeah, I haven't seen it, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> and now, actually, it's not a, just, it's not an important bit, but yeah. <laughs> uh, no, no worries, no worries. And actually, um, I just thought of another one. Um, Casey Affleck in Manchester by the Sea, I think, gave a incredible performance of grief yes um in the wake of losing his children and in the and again i don't want to uh say details for people who haven't seen it but then in horrible horrible circumstances and i think his performance in that film was one of the best i've seen of of parental grief i completely agree the the scene in the police station is devastating yeah yeah uh, I, th- I think actually his uh, Ben Kingsley scene, praying scene is is really good. Um, I, I I just I like the line I want only for my son as a way of kind of saying you know these things don't matter anymore. You know this is the only thing that really mattered. Yep. Um, and as long as the 
the film is not um, condemning him for that, uh, then I'm kind of on board with with that as a writing a mm-hmm. writing piece as well. Yeah, well that that was another thing, and it goes back, I guess, to our wondering what we're supposed to feel about Jennifer Connelly. Like, is she the protagonist mm-hmm. or is she the the antagonist? Kind of because he, yeah, he was stubborn and he was um, kind of bullheaded, and maybe he could have played it differently. But I felt nothing but sympathy for him throughout most of the film. Yes. So if the if yeah. at the if at the end of it we're supposed to think, ah, oh, he finally learned his lesson that it's just a house, and then that that doesn't work. Yeah, I agree. And this is not a f- um, this is no comment on Jennifer Connelly. I think Jennifer Connelly's quite good in this. Oh yeah. But I think like the reason maybe she didn't get nominated, it it, it might boil down to the, the fact that the character is really annoying. I think that's part of it, sure. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, how about Jude Law in Cold Mountain? How about him? This... <laughs> I have to... I'm going to make a confession here before we um, talk about this. I kind of have a guilty love for Cold Mountain um, that stretches back to when it was released um, because the film is very shamelessly oscar bait. Um, yeah, but um, I did. I have it on DVD, and I, although it has problems, there are parts of it where I kind of something will happen, a musical play, and I'll just like get this kind of shudder of emotion, and it's got some kind of weird hold over me, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But I think I mean the people I've spoken to, many of whom don't like Cold Mountain, still think that Jude Law gives a good performance what 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 is your feelings on it well um i think that for what the for what he had to work with i think he did a good performance but i also think that it's Mm. kind of the flattest of all of these roles like he's that Mm. he's kind of that that new wave stereotypical i don't mean french new wave i just mean like post whatever i don't know what i meant yes yeah. this this kind of new hero this new male archetype of you know sensitive yet strong and you know kills people if he needs to but then feels real bad about it and he's he's just got that soft heart encased with you know this strong you know physical body this kind of mm-hmm. new hero that needs to have an inner life and can't just be the man like John Wayne or whatever. Um, that's a long way of saying, I think that he, he's just kind of this strong, sensitive man who's trying mm. to get, trying to get back to the woman he loves and he's good in it, but I didn't feel like he had a very meaty role to work with. He's just always, struggling to get back to stay faithful and Mm. overcoming these challenges and having to deal with philip seymour hoffman is a challenge for anybody um (laughs) i can um yeah not philip seymour hoffman's finest moment no and I, th- I think you're right. I think he's the crux of the performance is that he has to be this shy, unassuming working man, um, which is something he, I haven't seen him do before. Honestly, this is 
this is quite a different role for him from his other roles. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he does a good job of showing the effects of war, um, of being away from your home, not knowing if you have a home to go back to, if it's going to be the same place as it was before, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, if if Ada is still alive, if she's still waiting for him, if they still feel the same way, I think there's a lot of uncertainty there that he brings to the performance um, in the sort of final, in the second half, let's say, when it's about him journeying back. Um, I did feel all of that come through in the performance, even if the film isn't quite as generous in its discussion of um, upheaval and because the the film has many problems in sense of creating the drama there's a lot of scenes of peril um that feel quite orchestrated um yep. in order to be part of his journey back uh, but i think his character work is better than that mm-hmm. yeah i agree with you that it's it was kind of against type uh for him and i do think that he he did a good job showing the character and kind of expressing it with pretty, you know, very little dialogue and kind of almost repetitive dialogue in some places. Um, mm. And I do agree that it it does a good job showing a country broken by war and, and the struggle home through a backwater areas of the country where you really don't know what you're getting into and how people are going to react because it's a completely different country than the one you passed through the previous year or whenever it was, Mm. which you don't, which uh, doesn't get shown a lot in movies about the time period. So I think in that regard, it was uh, an interesting film. It's got some lovely motifs as well. I, I kind of love the thing with the well and the mirror and the vision of the crows um, and then that vision she thinks that vision's realised and then you know the end it's kind of the tragic ending you know and the shot of him and laying in the snow with the crows I think is beautiful yep. um, what did you think about his chemistry with Nicole Kidman um, it was a strained kind of chemistry um, I, di- I didn't yeah. think I didn't think that they melded in quite the way that um, I think we're going to talk about when we get to the next nominee. But in a way, I think that kind of worked fine for the characters because they're both kind of awkward. They're both kind of lost, uh, isolated people. And then, of course, after the odyssey that he goes through trying to get home he's a changed person, she's a changed person. So the fact that they kind of have this kind of awkward chemistry together works kind of for the story. So I, I think it I think it was true to the characters. Yeah, I, I'd remembered uh, Nicole Kidman thinking that she'd been completely miscast. And this time I kind of think she's actually all right in this. Um, and... The, yeah, they don't have a, a whole lot of chemistry, but I guess that that's the point that it is awkward between them. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked Jude's scenes with Natalie Portman. Um, that whole thing did feel convincing enough, I think, and kind of 
them on the bed with him holding her. I think I think he does a good job there of uh, showing the the kind of sorrow at her situation and also kind of the pang of temptation, shall we say? Yep. Yeah. He. Yeah. The 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 uh, panic in his eyes was palpable in this in that scene. <laughs> Um, what do you make of the the fact that Cold Mountain didn't get a Best Picture nomination? Is it too flagrantly Oscar bait? Um, I think it, it might have been. Um, I haven't seen Seabiscuit. It's the only one of the nominations this year that I haven't seen yet. Um, right. But I, yeah, I guess I am a little surprised that Cold Mountain wouldn't be there because it is, it is very much best picture material just based on the story notes the music the everything about it screams best picture nominee um so yeah maybe it was too blatant in its uh attempt of course it still got what like seven nominations or something so it didn't do bad oh it did it, it did well it did well yeah. but um mm-hmm. yeah but i do want to um i do want to comment on the accent work in the film which is uh i don't think there's a single actor in the film who's actually from the area that their accent matches and yeah jude law his ex his american accents in general are usually a little shaky and this one he did he did okay but he slipped a few times i only noticed a few slips um and he never like outright spoke in his normal voice which he like I, I particularly remember in I Heart Huckabees at some points in the script he just talks like Jude Law and he's supposed to be American. But anyway, um Nicole Kidman is alright with her southern accent. It's not amazing. Renee Zellweger, I don't know, she's like I don't know what she was doing. Um it's just like <laughs> Foghorn Leghorn or something. It's just <laughs> It's not great, is it? I mean, no. I think she's made this. She's a bit. You have to wonder because obviously they don't shoot things in order. But Renee Zellweger would not have been needed on the set for all of this. Um, True. So you imagine Nick, Nicole is, you know, <laughs> Nicole is kind of doing her scenes, etc., quiet scenes with her father and Jude. And then you don't know what Ruby's going to be like. You've read the script, but you don't know how Renee's going to play her. The yep. first day, Nicole must have been like, "What? <laughs> <laughs> we're yeah. going like, we're going this big, are we?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. It's just wild. Um, and I, the surprising to me, I think the best accent performances in the film were by Brandon Gleason. And um, I wasn't expecting a great southern accent from him, but he did. I think he did really well. And then, um, yeah, Cillian Murphy very briefly as the Nor- as the Union soldier. Um, I think he's a gifted accent performance. So it's a very small role, but he does a good job too. But, yeah, yep. there are lots of little little actors in like well, big actors in small parts. You've got Hoffman, mm-hmm. Natalie Portman, Brendan Gleeson, Killy Murphy. Um, I think there were more as well. I'm trying to think. There's a uh, Jack White was in it, right? Um, yes, Jack and, White. Uh, Ray Winston. The White stripes. 
Ray Winston was the the villain, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and his I'm sorry, I like him a lot, and I don't want to badmouth him because he's scary, but his accent was <laughs> was awful, just terrible. Sorry, Mr. Winston, yeah. but yeah, yeah. But yeah, okay. I, was, I was surprised oh, oh. by all the cameos, all the. Of course, they weren't as yeah. big. They weren't as big back then as they would become. But yeah, really, really kind of a who's who kind of film. Just one more point about Jude, because I had I have the DVD, so I remember watching the DVD extras back in the day. I was such a fan, mm-hmm. and um, they made this huge deal about how he had to learn to hammer a nail in with three hits. So what he's building the. They're building a house at one point, and apparently, you're only a great builder if you can hammer a nail in with three blows. So. Okay. So good carpentry from Jude. Yeah. All right. Well, credit where credits due. I did not know that. But... Okay, Bill Murray in Lost in Translation. Yeah. Um, again, I, I think this film is a masterpiece. Um, mm-hmm. And everything with him having to do the whiskey publicity material is really wonderful. Can we agree? I do, yeah. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) The podcast can continue. (laughs) Um, Just from the first exchange where he has to sit in the chair and the interpreter's being overly polite to him and won't relay what the photographer's actually saying. Mm-hmm. You know, his kind of bemusement is really funny. And then the next scene with... Uh, this, they're still doing the photo shoot, but they, he's pretending to be Roger Moore and the like Frank Sinatra, ring-a-ding-ding, etc. Yeah. He, he just brings a lot of charisma to it um, that I hadn't really seen from him before. Yeah. I agree. And his, just his combination of that kind of Bill Murray snark with the character's kind of deep confusion and repressed anger at being in this situation, I think is just conveyed Mm -hmm. so well in those scenes where he's just desperately trying to hold it together and desperately just looking forward to having some of that Suntory later at the bar. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, he does such a good job of selling the movie star persona while also expressing the frustration um, at really the concept of celebrity and what he's having to do um, Mm -hmm. to sell himself and to sell the product. It's um, and then you've also got this kind of his eyes are very expressive and he expresses it just real boredom and monotony of, you know, hotel life, being away from home. Um, It's just a very led performance. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What did you think about Bob and Charlotte's relationship, and is there there any romance there? How do you feel? I I liked their performance. Well, their chemistry, like I was, like I hinted at, and I think that their relationship is fantastically well developed. Um, just it, it takes its time. The film really takes its time building them, moving them together. Like I, they don't really have their first real conversation until like forty-five minutes in, if I'm remembering right. 
Um, and I don't, I really don't think there's anything romantic um, between them, which was so refreshing. And I think kind of the um, disproof of the When Harry Met Sally thesis, um, <laughs> even though, you know, their age gap is typical Hollywood romantic age gap, um, but, which isn't right. And it's a commentary on <laughs> these horrible pairings that Hollywood tends to make. But um, yeah, I think I think that their relationship is a beautiful example of a kind of friendship by necessity that can spring up to people coming together very briefly for a, a few days, meaning so much to each other in such a short period of time. And then it ends and that's, mm. and that's life. And I thought it was a, a wonderful, uh, a wonderful relationship. One of the best uh, screen relationships I think we've had in a while. Yes, I, I completely agree. I, I don't think there is romance. I think it's just kindred spirits. And I think maybe there's a sense of, you know, if I was 30 years younger, <laughs> oh, sure. maybe, um, maybe if we'd met in that way. But I don't think there's ever the suggestion that either of them are willing to go there, you know. Mm -hmm. Um yeah. And I kind of, I really love, I mean, there's a lot spoken about the whisper in the ear at the end and what does he say. Um, mm -hmm. I kind of love that it, you can't hear that. And he might say, you know, he might be like, I'll come find you when we're back in the US. Or he might be like, if I was 20, 30 years young, you know, <laughs> he might say a lot. He might, he might whisper some advice into her ear about life. Who knows? Mm -hmm. But I just, I just like that we can't hear that. And it doesn't really matter because we've, we kind of get the drift of their, well, we get more than the drift of their kind of connection yeah. and why they've gravitated towards each other in, you know, the 90 minutes that preceded that bit. So, yeah. I mean, I I entirely agree. I love the inaudible whisper for, you know, for, for a couple of reasons. One, um, our, our imaginations can, if we want to, can fill it in better than any scripted line could to give closure to this story. Like, I don't, I don't think it would have been possible to encapsulate and make that line the giant line that it would have needed to be to close yeah. out the story so Sofia Coppola was like you know what I'm going to keep this private between them and people can people are free to speculate but I also I don't I don't, kind of don't want to speculate about what he said because I love that we, it kind of makes these characters and their world more real you know it's it's this thing between them that we the audience that we're usually privy to their entire life or at least their life within the hour and a half that we're in it but here's a moment between these characters that we don't get to see and we don't get to hear and that's beautiful to me that these two have this shared thing in their universe that we don't get even though we are otherwise omnipotent yeah i agree completely um how do you feel about the balance the film does does it manage to achieve a balance between satirizing japanese culture and 
promoting its strengths. That... Have you been to Tokyo? Because I haven't. Um, no, I haven't. Um, my sister has, and a couple of people I know have. Um, I That was the part of the film that I think um, has not been successful. And I think there were grumblings about it at the time, even though it was kind of universally acclaimed. I think that some people did point out that it's not entirely clear whether the um, the image that we get of Tokyo and Japan and Japanese culture is entirely fair. Um, I think mm. I think there's a way to interpret it that we're seeing it kind of through the eyes of these two newbies, these two people who are confused and kind of overwhelmed by being in this entirely culturally different environment. But at the same time, yeah. a lot of the a lot of the comedy of the film, I think, arises from oh look, they're so different. And that kind of, sometimes that doesn't land, especially the repetitive, the over and over, the joke. Oh yeah, their R's sound like L's. We get it. Do they have to comment and make like fifteen <laughs> jokes out of it? I, I, yeah, I don't think it's that deep a well. Yeah, I agree. I, I do think it. Um, I do think it. It kind of does promote Tokyo in certain ways. The karaoke night is kind of. A, a good example that Omikuji where she goes and they tie in the, the the paper to the trees and yeah there are the certain tourist elements the fact that the Japanese are kind of satirized for being polite is hardly the the worst thing in the world either true um, true I could have done without the lip the stocking thing that's probably the, the film's worst moment for me yeah that that scene seems entirely superfluous I'm not into, I'm not, yeah. not really sure what it's doing there at all yeah uh, but overall I uh, thought Murray was brilliant and this was regarded as quite a comeback for him absolutely yeah um, he hadn't I mean he'd, he'd started I think he'd started his kind of career renaissance with Wes Anderson but um, yeah hadn't really this was definitely kind of seen as his big dramatic triumph. And uh, I mean, this what I remember most about this Oscar night is the fact that people are like, well, this is probably his one shot at an Oscar because he's just not a Oscar-y actor. Um, mm. and, and as we've seen in the years since, that has so far been the case. And you've, but let's be honest, you, the people who tend to have that one shot and aren't an Oscar reactor don't really tend to win. Um, That's true. <laughs> maybe because maybe because they don't play the game. Um, but I know Bill Murray was particularly upset at losing this Oscar to Sean Penn. Yeah. Uh, who who we'll talk about now. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the time, I didn't like Sean Penn's performance in Mystic River. Um, A lot's been said about the, is that my daughter in their scene, which (laughs) is the one that always gets played. It's, it's inevitable that 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 is the one that gets played at at all your clips because it's the, it's the big dramatic um, acting uh, with a capital A. And he, he is bad in that scene. Um, I know you were talking earlier about it's difficult to make a scene like that authentic in the first place. Um, 
but he does go overboard in that. But I do think originally I'd fa- I'd felt that he was bad and the script had some virtues. Um, but now I feel like his performance has some virtues and the script has none. That's kind of where I landed too. <laughs> like, because I'm like a, a big murder mystery fan. So the very idea that you've got a murder that ends up being pretty much motiveless um, is fine. Um, but if you've got a motiveless murder, it, the murderer can't be so intertwined in the rest of the plot. Otherwise, mm. it's too schematic. It, it It's just too convenient. So I really didn't like the fact that they essentially just pulled the rug from underneath the audience at the end without giving them a fair chance of working it out for themselves and saying, well, how does this person fit into all this? Mm-hmm. So I... The the police themselves as well, they don't... um, As soon as they find out that that gun belongs to that family, they have to know somebody in that house killed them. And they don't grasp that straight away. So I just think... I just think there's a lot of character decisions that are open to question here. Yeah, for sure. A lot of of shoddy police work, a lot of uh, contrivances and conveniences. Um, Yeah, I... I got to the end and I thought, and I was thinking, you know what, in this type of film, um, it's better if the murderer is just random, just like you said, it's a, it's a motive, it's, it's a motiveless crime. So it shouldn't be, you know, the cliche of, oh yeah, it's that background character that we introduced and now we ignore, oh, shock, it's that person. Um, exactly. You've either got a motive or you haven't. But right. if you haven't got a motive, you can't be connected with the story. It it just that was just really shoddy. Some of the character decisions. Why does Tim Robbins confess? Mm. Why does Marcia Gay Harden just throw her hus- own husband under the bus like yeah. in a moment's notice? You know. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like in that scene where she says, tells Sean Penn, I'm thinking, you know, why don't you tell the police? You know, you know, Mm. you know that this guy is going to kill your husband if he thinks he killed his daughter. Why are you telling him this? You know, Um, yeah, a lot of character decisions that didn't seem realistic at all that were just there to, yeah, get us, get the plot forward and move us forward. Um, I didn't, I didn't buy a lot of it. Yeah, and um, agree. And just uh, Sean Penn's performance overall, um, I think is good. Um, I, it's interesting. I watched the the clip of the Academy Awards where he wins, and they don't actually show clips from the movies. They just show still images, which I thought um, was interesting. But if they were going to choose a clip, I think it would be the one where he's sitting with Tim Robbins on his back like balcony, talking about Mm. sitting alone in the kitchen with um, his daughter. I thought that was a very, Mm. a very strong moment, definitely better acted and better written than the aforementioned uh, hysteric scene. Yeah, I think you, you definitely get a sense that um, both Sean Penn and Kevin Bacon's character, I mean, Kevin Bacon doesn't have much to do here, but Sean Penn's character is um, 
still has guilt from letting uh, Dave go into that car. Yeah. Um, and so whenever they have this conversation, any conversation, it feels like in the back of Sean Penn's mind there is this thing, there is this niggling thing that they can't talk about. Um, I'm not sure the film quite decides how much of a gangster Sean Penn's supposed to be. He's got people working for him. I don't really know how that how that's come about. But um, he does a good job of being this working class guy trying to cling on to any kind of power. Um, maybe power is his way of getting through life. I don't know. Um, it's... I think there are small parts of the performance that are quite intricate and I like his scenes with Laura Linney as well. Um, even though I don't like her performance because I, I don't think that worked, but I think the scenes with her, you, you, you kind of convinced that they've been married a long time. You definitely certain that he loves his daughter, mm-hmm. but he doesn't betray, he doesn't betray a lot of obvious emotion apart from the big, shouting scene that we talked about yeah yeah he very yeah he plays that kind of close to the vest old school kind of providing father loving father but you know willing to break some kneecaps or shoot an innocent man uh to protect Mm. his family yeah that i'm not sure about the scene in the the scene in the bar towards the end i'm not a huge fan of that i think that's a bit Feels a little out of place, maybe f- like he thinks he's in a Scorsese film. <laughs> mm-hmm. You mean where he's where he's plying uh, Dave with a uh, drink before he kills him? Yeah, 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 yeah. He he seems to have that idea. I think that his better scenes are the quiet scenes um, where it's just him and one character talking, mm-hmm. where he's trying to find out what's happened to her, basically. Yeah. Yeah, I think in general, Sean Penn is one of those actors that needs to rein it in as much as possible, because when he's quiet, he's very good, but when he tries to go big, he almost never succeeds. Mm. Yeah. In terms of the win, I think it's a shame that they gave it to Sean Penn, just because five years later, I think he's terrific in Milk, so I... I think the Milk Oscar could have served fairly well on its own. Um, but that's always a, a problem in retrospect, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I agree that he's much better in, in Milk and more deserving of, uh, of the Oscar in that one. Why do you think he won? Is Does it come down to the sympathy of the role? Or where does... Because, I mean, Lost Lost in Translation and Mystic River, they're both Best Picture nominees. So only two of these five were in Best Picture nominees. Mm-hmm. So it's not surprising it came down to those two. Yeah. Um, does Bill Murray's role feel lighter? Or is it, is it a case of overdue status for Sean Penn? Um, I think it's... I don't think it's that Bill Murray... Maybe it does. Um, I think that grief... And um, this kind of performance mm. always does well um, mm. at the Oscars. And maybe it's because it's a more, uh, I don't want to say it's easier to portray, but it's kind of easier to get 
as somebody watching it. And I think that Bill Murray's... You, you think they think, like, you think they're thinking, oh, God, like, that could be me. He's doing such a good job. That could be my child. Maybe some, yeah, something like that. And also just that we can understand what he's going through because it's a it's an understandable emotion. Whereas Bill Murray's... Mm. Bill Murray's playing something a little more subtle, a little more um, satirical, and a little more self-referential, almost. Like, he's almost... Yeah. It's almost like he's playing himself if Wes Anderson hadn't put him in his movies. Um, I, okay, that sounds like he was being charitable, and of course he wasn't. Bill Murray's, a, um, he's, <laughs> Bill Murray's an amazing actor, but if he hadn't had that association, if he hadn't had that resurgence, maybe he would have been... Bob Harris, or maybe he had been Bob Harris, you know, mm. in the past. So maybe that kind of meta element of it made it seem like not as good a performance because like, oh, he's doing a version of himself, which I don't think he is, but maybe it can come across that way. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, but then you could say how the people who are voting in the Academy have a lot more in common with Bob Harris than they do with Jimmy in Mystic River. Mm-hmm. Um, but they do have a in the long... sense that they know what it means to be bored in hotels and photo shoots, etc. Yeah, but they do kind of have a long tradition of not awarding performances that point out the dark side of their own profession. Like, yeah. you know, we can look at uh, Sunset Boulevard as a good example. You know, it's just a little too real for them. And so kind of being reminded of their own career mortality maybe didn't uh, didn't sit right. <laughs> um do you think that this was close? I think so. I like to think so. Yeah. I mean Yeah. And I would have my my ballot would have gone to Bill Murray, absolutely. Um and maybe this is part, you know, 19-year-old me watching the Oscars and hoping that, you know, my comedic hero gets an award, gets this mm. win. But I think it's also yeah. I think it's also that he just gives a incredible, understated, subtle performance that is just definitely a career highlight, and I think he I think he deserved the win this year amongst these nominees. I think he was the the best choice. Uh, that I completely I completely agree. I would have voted for him in a heartbeat, definitely. Mm. Um, this in terms of who was snubbed, um. I think there's there's three names I've got here. I think Russell Crowe, um, given the film was Mastering Command, Mastering Commander was nominated for Best Picture, uh, maybe a little unlucky to be left out. Yeah, that was that's a little surprising too. But of course, he did get um, he had won the Oscar and been nominated for two previous Best Pictures just a couple of years before. So maybe mm. the Academy was thinking, okay, well. Well, we'll give somebody else a shot this year. Could be, could be. Um, I think Peter Dinklage got the Sagnom for the uh, the station agent, the mm-hmm. Tom McCarthy film, and also Tom Cruise for the Last Samurai. Probably in the conversation, given oh, yeah. where Tom B got nominated. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure he was. He must have been. Yeah, but. In the end, I think that these five make sense as nominees this year, and um, the other three definitely probably would have been, yeah, amongst the contenders, but 
There's not much wrong with this slate, I think, just in terms of five performances that are good nominees. Yeah, yeah. I, I, there's not a bad one here, I, I agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think uh, if we talk about the wider observations on the year, I think one thing that strikes me is this particular era in Hollywood, uh, studios were still willing to make adult like human interest dramas um, with a decent cast and a decent budget. You've got like Focus made Lost in Translation. You've got Miramax um, leading the charge. But all these other films, Mystic River was made by Warner Brothers, House of Sand and Fog, Station Agent 13, The Cooler. These are all films that probably would struggle to get made now. Mm-hmm. Um, and none of them, apart from Cold Mountain, I don't think any of them are pati- particularly scream Oscar bit. No, no, I agree. None of the, and I mean, like I have, I haven't seen Sea Biscuit, like I said, but none of the nominees mm. for Best Picture really scream Oscar bait either. They're all fairly well made. I mean, sure, Lord of the Rings was kind of a a shoe-in based on the trilogy, and Master and Commander has that big quality, but mm. for the most part, I think it's just a lot, yeah, like, it's, like you said, a lot of solid, well-made human interest dramas. Yeah, Seabiscuit is quite, quite baity. Um, it? It's quite, it's at least quite traditional, but uh, I think that got in based on, if I remember rightly, I think it was a huge hit. Hmm. Uh, it was a huge hit in cinemas, so yeah, yeah. It was a different time. It, it, it's it's kind of shocking to think that that was seventeen years ago. Honestly, yeah, I know. Yeah, but yeah, definitely um, a very different time, and kind of the beginning of the end of one film utterly dominating the year. So we haven't seen ever since Lord of the Rings. It's been just a lot of. You know, three yeah. three Oscars, four or five, maybe, but we have apart from apart from Slumdog, right? Everything yeah, else, yeah, yeah. Slumdog yeah. was the last big one, and everything else, and now we're just very low key best picture uh, totals, which is kind of an interesting development. Yeah, I, I am sure we will be talking about Lord of the Rings at some point, and three of them nominated, but. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, could they not have at least given Cold Mountain best song? <laughs> Did it really have to win eleven? I can. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, no, I don't know. It didn't. Probably didn't deserve every one of those eleven for sure. But and it didn't deserve best picture even. But is yeah, I think everybody knew that it was going to do that and it was going to sweep everything because it's like the whole trilogy was nominated really just Mm. unofficially yeah okay any other observations are we done on 2003 i think that just about wraps up 2003 um i can't think of anything else to add like i said i would i had trouble coming up with any snubs not only in best actor but in kind of the other categories too um yeah. If I, I mean, if I had to quibble, I guess maybe City of God 
as uh, one of one of my favorite movies of the decade. So I will probably watch Sea Biscuit and be annoyed that it got nominated over City of God, <laughs> but that's for the future to decide. <laughs> okay. Um, we're on Twitter uh, at Categorically O, and uh, you can find all our, our episodes on CategoricallyOscars.com. We've got an archive there, and we're available on several platforms, including Apple, Google, and Spotify. Mm-hmm. Uh, what have we got next episode? What we, what we do? Next episode, we're going to go back uh, into the past again. We're going to go to 1970 Best Picture, um, and those are... MASH, Five Easy Pieces, Love Story, Airport, and uh, the winner, Patton. Better get the hankies out, eh? Indeed, yeah. <laughs> some uh, <laughs> some pretty good ones in there, and uh, I'm looking forward to looking forward to watching Five Easy Pieces again. So it's going to be a good one. Yeah. Okay. Until next time. Until next time. 